hands on this right here? What, what if this little object in your hands is, is supernaturally the doorway through which somebody enters eternity? What if that's what this is? What if it's not just a little cardboard thing? What if this right here, observed by someone, becomes the doorway through which eternity is entered? It's a pretty cool little piece of paper in your hand now, isn't it? Well, that's, that's what this can be. You know, the reason why we do programs like the Cantata or Alphas is, is to seize the opportunity that, that corporate evangelism presents to us. That's an important thing to do. Well, you see in the New Testament where the disciples went out with a come and see. They invited folks to come and get a load of this. And that's what the cantata is about. It's going to give you this opportunity for some powerful music. And I'm excited about what you're going to hear this year. Powerful music. I think a very powerful drama and testimony and presentation of the gospel as well that evening. And you have the opportunity for someone you love to hear that, to be affected by it. And, and this is what I love about what we do in corporate evangelism. Corporate evangelism gives you an opportunity to do further evangelism in their life. I mean, you know, if you've invited somebody to a service or you've invited somebody to a cantata in the past, uh, they get to hear the gospel, then you get to ask them about, hey, what'd you think? How did that affect you? And so you have many opportunities after that meeting to follow up with them and pray with them and seek them out and help them. If they've responded to help them take their first steps in discipleship, if they've not responded to help them further consider the gospel. So right now, can you think for a moment with me? Uh, right now, who has God placed in your life that you just need to have faith toward inviting them? That's the first step. Just create the conversation by just inviting them to something that's happening at your church. And so whether you do that with this, uh, I understand that if you go to our website... I think it's our website. Eric, is it our website where guys can go to the website? You can get a link for this and you can use it as an invitation electronically. So you can post it on your Facebook or through Twitter or you can send it as an email invitation. So, boy, if you got, you know, just like less than even an ounce of courage and boldness, this is the one thing I guess I can say I like about social media. You can be like a huge chicken and still impart the gospel. <laughs> Just click it. What are they going to do? You know, they're going to come hunt you down. They're going to, you know, they'll open it and they get an invitation. Right. But what's most important, and I want to do this, the, the ladies who are helping out with these, I want us to pray. Go ahead and come up. If you guys have, don't have invitations, you don't have enough of them and be thinking right now, who's God calling you? to reach out to. All right, we do this because corporately God has given us an opportunity to impart the gospel. We, we don't just do this because there's a little segment of the church who loves to sing and we're going to all come on next Sunday night and Monday night. We're all going to watch them sing. That's what we're coming to do. That's what this is. It's an event for the church to come watch some people sing. No, it's an opportunity for the gospel to find people's hearts and lives. And it's an opportunity, let me say this, it's an opportunity for everyone who is here who's a believer to come celebrate the incarnation. Right? Take a moment out of our lives and say, that was a significant thing God did. I'm, I'm going to be here to honor that and celebrate it. But bring somebody with you 
And have some courage to do that. So right now, can you let God awaken your soul right now? Coworker, neighbor, who's coming to mind right now? Friend, cousin that you're in touch with or you haven't seen for a while, but you will see them around Christmas. All right, let God put those guys in your heart before we pray. Or anybody else need one? Just hold your hand up real quick so these ladies can find you. If you need more invitations, I want to make sure nobody walks out here today because it's next Sunday, right? It's next Sunday and next Monday night. So, hey, listen, this, this works. I know everybody's got a busy schedule, but, but you got two shots at people. And maybe you're busy too, but you got two shots to participate as well. And if you got folks who can only come on Monday night, you got others that come on, come to both of them. Just get them here, right? That's just why we do this, to open up an opportunity for the gospel. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the amazing rescuing miracle that we celebrated. We draw attention to it at this time of year. It's an incredible story. The God of eternity taking on the form and shape and limitations of a little baby born in a manger. Uh, Lord, it's, it was for our freedom that Christ has come. And Lord, we know others. Lord, we thank you that that story has found our hearts. We know others that it needs to find. So right now, Lord, together, we, we begin just to bring them before your throne. Lord, would you go before us this week? Would you create opportunities. Would you stir our hearts, Lord, with care and affection and concern and boldness and courage, Lord, to advance an opportunity to hear the gospel to people in our lives, whoever it is that you're stirring our heart to. Lord, let us have big faith, Lord. Let us, let us receive the challenge of believing that that person that, that intimidates me, I, I'm, Lord, I'm going to invite them in faith for the sheer sport of it, just to see what you might do in the most challenging of situations. Lord, we dare to believe something big from you this year. That you would do something amazing in people's lives right here, gathered in this room, next Sunday night and next Monday night. And Lord, use us as instruments to bring your word to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I have uh, been doing this... I've done this a few weeks ago, to draw our attention to the ministry, read this quote together, and consider the, the posture of our hearts as we about to engage this portion of the service. Right? This, is, this is a supernatural moment for us to engage God and for him to engage us. So this is not something we just want to sit through. Do we have that... Nope, that ain't it. There we go. It would be an interesting exercise to ask ourselves just before the sermon begins, what exactly do you expect to occur during the next 20, 30, or 40 minutes? What exactly do you expect to occur as the word of God is about to be preached. All right, now, before I, before I start to preach the message, I don't want to move on from this point because, quite honestly, I think this moment, as we'll see in the word today, moves on from people tragically pretty quickly. 
This is an opportunity to be affected supernaturally by God through his word. Are, are you anticipating that? Anticipating that your life in the next several minutes could be turned upside down. Something about the way in which you're living your life could be rescued or delivered out of a setting that's been a place of captivity and heaviness and discouragement. You're expecting that more than perhaps anything else you've experienced in your life in the next few moments, you could experience something that changes you and affects you more than any other thing in your life. I don't want to depart with any, without having everybody on board. Is that how you're thinking in this moment? Because I, I know, listen, I've sat through a lot of messages. I'm not always thinking that way. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of halfway into the message and somebody is finally telling a story about something that sounds like I did. And I've got, oh, well, you got my attention. You mean you've been reading the Bible and explaining stuff for the last 20 minutes, but you finally used an example about changing your oil. And it's like, oh, yeah, I did that once. And now I'm listening. Right? Okay, let's not do that. Let's realize this is an encounter with God that's unique. Now, you've got an outline there that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whittle down a little bit here. I'm going to choose to fly through that first page because the, the second half of the message is, I think, where the Lord wants us to land. But we're in Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read a tale of two cities. Some of you will recognize that title. But we're going to visit Thessalonica, and then we're going to move on to another town called Berea. And we're going to see what God does in these two locations. Remember, this is the, the apostles compelled by God to take the gospel into the world. And so they're, they're just living the Christian life that God has ordained for them to live. They're doing something that should sound familiar really to all Christians, that we're taking the gospel into all the earth. And so for them, they're going to go to Thessalonica and then they're going to move on to Berea. So let's visit Thessalonica with them first and then we'll Look at what happens in Berea. Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, 
they let them go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revelation that is in this word, that is preserved by you, that is given by the Spirit. Your perspective on these events is before us today. And you have written it down for us. Lord, it's written down for us. It may have occurred for these folks, but it's written down for us. And so, Lord, this morning, open and affect our hearts with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to just make a couple of quick, and I'm going to resist all of those points you see there on the first page. But can I just say here that there's something here that we can learn about being gospel presenters. Right, uh, and then I guess the first question I need to ask all of us is: Is are you a gospel presenter? Because we can learn from Paul about how to be a gospel presenter, but if none of us in this room have any intentions of walking out of here and telling anybody the gospel, then then can, should we just skip this point? Right? Are, do you have any intention this week in presenting the gospel? If you do, there's some great insights here from the Apostle Paul. When he shows up in Thessalonica, he shows up with the intention to present the gospel. That's why he's there. He's not, he's not there. He's not on vacation. He's not looking for the best motel. Didn't get a Groupon coupon. He's there to present the gospel. Now, when he goes to present the gospel, this is, this is what it says about Paul's ministry there in verse 2. It says, he reasoned with them, explaining and providing or giving evidence, right? So this is Paul's mode of operation. When he engages you with the gospel, he's going to reason with you. He's going to explain something so he, you know, he can take this thing apart and put it, give it to you in the pieces. And, and he's going to present evidence. He's not just going to say, this. well, that's just what I've always believed. Well, that's just the way that I was raised. I've just known this since I was a child. Why do you believe? Well, I don't know. That's just what my family always believed. He's not going to sound that way. He's going to give evidence. He's going to, he's going to make a case. He's going to present an argument here. That's, that's what it means often to share the gospel. I, I, that word for reasoned, though, is a word to take a lesson from. I hope every one of us here are, are ready. It's the word in the Greek from which we get the word dialogue. Right? It's, it's, we don't get the word monologue, by the way, from it. We get the word dialogue. Right? You see, I think I stuck the definition there in your notes. It means to speak back and forth or, or alternately. To converse with reason, present intelligent discourse. So it means that we've got something to say. It means that we're prepared to present something. It means that we've got points to make. But it also means that we're having a conversation with somebody who's got some things to say to us. And we, we might need to do a dialogue with them. How I many of you know that sometimes Christians don't do a good category? The job in either one of those categories. Sometimes we've got nothing to say. We've not thought through, how, how would I present the gospel? How would I explain the gospel? How would I organize in my head the thoughts of, well, this happened, this happened. How do I accurately interact with somebody who says something about the gospel that's wrong? That's inaccurate, and yet I'm going to respond to it because I know something about the gospel and can hear where what that was just said, that, that's, that's not accurate to the gospel. Right, right now, let me just see if you can pick this up. If I said the chances tonight that the eight and four saints will beat the Panthers 
is not, what's that? Oh, see how quick you picked that up? Just like that, right? Most of y'all caught that. As a matter of fact, you were like, what's the deal, dude? We're not, we're not in three. How did you know that? Right? You must be paying attention to something that's going on, right? But somebody can say something about the gospel that's kind of screwy and off and, and go right past us. I, listen, you know, and I'm going to watch the game and I'm going to be all jazzed up and I'll be yelling from the den. Uh, but I do that in the front row too. That, that's not saints behavior. But there's an aspect where we learn something. We, pay, we learn what we pay attention to. We've all been paying attention to the saints and their record. But, but we have to make a reasoned presentation. We have to dialogue with people about the gospel. We, we have to know something about the gospel. And if we all were capable of knowing the record for the saints, we're all capable of understanding eternal truth intended by God to be revealed to us and then revealed to the world. We're, we can do it. Right? So we can have a dialogue. Now, secondly, that word dialogue, it means dialogue. It means two people get to talk this thing out. And I know sometimes Christians don't do a good job in this category. I think because we feel like we've got the truth. So whatever it is you got to say doesn't really need to be said. Doesn't really need to be heard. So we just spend, and I watched this, I watched this happen just a few weeks ago. I just happened to be in a place where I walked upon a guy who was sharing Christ with another guy. And so I'm just listening to their conversation. And this, I think this guy had kind of like a Baha'i background. He was a foreigner and he's having this conversation. He was, he was kind of a meek, mild-mannered guy who was talking to a believer and the believer was like a bulldozer. I mean, he'd run him over and then he'd back up and run him over again. And then he'd back up and then go forward and run him over. The guy would say eight words and then the Christian would come back with 80 words. And then he'd get three words out and get cut off by the Christian who'd come back with 80 more. And it's like, I just watched him go back and forth. Mm, mm, mm. And every time the guy tried to explain himself, he just got run over. I thought, you know, that dude is right, but man, he is rude. <laughs> He's right, but rude. He was making good points. I thought, yeah, that, that's, true to the, that's true to the gospel. Yeah, that is a problem with what he believes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not accurate to who Jesus Christ was. Yeah, you're right, but man, you're obnoxious. <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to listen to you for five minutes. It's a dialogue. Respect people. Listen to what they have to say. Most of the time when you share the gospel with folks, you'll find out they really don't have much to say. They'll run out of their explanation for their understanding of faith pretty quickly. But don't be rude. Right? This is a dialogue when you share the gospel with folks. So have something to share, but also be ready to listen. But what's interesting here in Thessalonica, Paul shares this, and, and, and we've seen this over and over again in Acts. Some folks respond, and others violently respond, rejecting, resisting gathering others into a riotous response to the gospel. Now, I think this is an interesting thing because that factor, that factor for us sometimes is the reason why we don't share the gospel. Right? If I could guarantee you today, every person you share the gospel with, is, you're going to watch their eyes brighten, tears will well up in the edges of their eyes and begin to trickle down their face as they hug you 
and thank you profusely for what you're sharing with them and how they have been waiting to hear. If you, if you could get that response, and I could guarantee you, you walk out to anybody today and share the gospel with them, that's what will happen. And somehow you knew that I got the power to come through on that guarantee. I think a lot of us, I think many of us would be sharing the gospel a whole lot more. It's the other people in Thessalonica that we're trying to stay away from. Right? It's the people who didn't respond comfortably. The people who rejected what we had to say. The people who got riotous and angry and responded with unbelief that we just... Listen, aren't you glad? Aren't, the, aren't some of the Thessalonians glad? And aren't the people in Berea that we're about to read about really, really glad that Paul wasn't waiting to figure out whether he'd obey God based on what somebody else would do in response to his obedience? Aren't the folks in Berea really, really glad? Because Paul's faced some real discouragement. Paul's been, he's been stoned. He's been hated. He's been run out of town. But yet for him to be obedient and share the gospel, for him to be obedient and minister to another person, he's not sizing up that person and wondering, how are they going to respond? They're going to receive this? They're going to have faith for this? And listen, this, this traffic's not, not just in whether we'll obey God and take the gospel to the lost. This traffic's in whether or not we'll obey God and minister to the person sitting next to us. And the person likely sitting next to you is your husband or your wife. And if there's anybody you're sure is not going to respond, it's the person sitting next to you, isn't it? Because you've talked about this I don't know how many times with my husband or my wife. And they don't respond well. And it becomes this and it becomes that. I just got all these. Or maybe it's your kids that are sitting with you. And you've tried to have a conversation with them about this. And, and history has proved they're the riotous Thessalonians. That's who they are. And so when you get something in your heart to go to them, to share with them, you make a case. I'm not going because I've seen how they're going to respond. Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul didn't have that kind of disobedience in his heart? Listen, we're not called to assess how people are going to respond. We're just called to obey God. God called us to go talk to that person. God called us to go share something with our spouse. God called us to reach out to some difficult situation. He didn't call for us to dialogue with him and talk him out of it like, well, you know, Lord, I've tried to do that and I've done this and I've done this before and this has never worked. And that's, yeah, Paul, thank you that you just went to Berea and you shared with them. All right, let's pick up what happens here in Berea. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Many of them Belief. So you have a situation in Thessalonica where the, the preaching of the gospel by the man of God turns riotous. You have a situation in Berea where the preaching of the gospel is eagerly anticipated and received and people actually did homework. Can you imagine? Peter should love that. I should get out an amen from the front row on that one. 
They did some homework on what they were hearing when this gospel got preached. Two very different responses. Right? A tale of two responses. You guys remember that tale of two cities by Charles Dickens? If you've uh, not read it in literature, I'm sure you've heard of it. It was, it was written about a period of time during the French Revolution, comparing life in Paris with life in London amongst different types of people. This is a famous opening. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. And we were all going direct the other way. This is the same moment in history, yet two very, very different responses. And and what's, what's interesting for us is you have the Apostle Paul and Silas who go to Thessalonica with the gospel. And then in Berea, you have the Apostle Paul with Silas who come with the gospel. Same men, same preaching, two very different responses. A tale of two cities. Right here would be how I'd rewrite Mr. Dickens for Thessalonica and Berea. It was a receptive time. It was a rejecting time. It was the age of noble pursuit and eager examining. It was the age of hard-hearted dismissal. It was an epoch... Of a world turned upside down. It was an epoch of unchanging entrenchment. It was a season of the bright light of dawn. It was a season of unrelenting darkness. It was a spring of new birth. And it was an unending winter of spiritual death. Two very different responses. So, how how does one account... For these varieties of responses. How does one analyze and consider why one response and then why the other? Why one response in Thessalonica and why another response in Berea? Why hostile rejection and eager anticipation and reception? Right now, this is, this is in a setting evangelistically aimed. This is a setting for unbelievers to come to response. But you know, couldn't we say the same thing about us as believers? Many of us who are believers. Why in the same meeting, the same meeting probably happened today. The same meeting, some will sleep through the meeting. And others will be deeply convicted by God. In the same meeting. You ever wonder about that? You ever wonder about yourself where sometimes why I'm so deeply affected and so unaffected from setting to setting, meeting to meeting. Right? Well, I want to I give us two reasons. I want to highlight one that's already been highlighted. And this, this, is, this is what you do. When you answer questions biblically, you want to do somewhat of a systematic answer. You, wanna, you, wanna, you want your answer to be consistent with what we've discovered in Scripture, not just what you discover on this one page of Scripture. Right? That's how we should analyze the Bible. Now, up to this point, uh, we have seen that responsiveness belongs to God. 
So we must give glory to God for what happened in Berea. That there were hearts in Berea that turned, right? We, we learned that just one chapter earlier from looking at Lydia. Remember Lydia's life. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to what she was hearing. Why did Lydia get saved? Why did the apostle Paul get saved? I mean, you realize the apostle Paul was not seeking Jesus Christ, the God who saves. He was not seeking the God who saves. He was hostile to Jesus Christ. He wanted to bring down anything that had to do with Jesus Christ. But yet when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, his heart did a 180 and flipped in the other direction. And suddenly he was about following Christ. He had been about killing those who believed in Christ. And now he was about raising up followers to Christ. How does that stuff happen? Well, it happens because of the grace of God. Remember, grace is is running in the background. There's this invisible activity of God that is happening behind the scenes. That's why the folks in Berea respond to the gospel. But that's not all the Bible says about the Bereans. And there's an interesting insight here. And this would be point number two. We must take responsibility for the condition of the soil of our hearts. Look at what it says here in verse 11. Because this is set up intentionally. You're supposed to have visited Thessalonica before you visit Berea here. Because they're going to draw from what happened in Thessalonica to explain what happened in Berea. I want to catch that, right? There had been a situation in Thessalonica, a riot, an opposition, a rejection, a non-receptivity to the word. And then we get this other story in Berea and we get a different response from a different type of person. And that gets highlighted here. It's, it's the explanation for the difference between Thessalonica and Berea. Verse 11. Now, these Jews, right? You, you pick up on the language there? As opposed to... Those, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, as opposed to the Thessalonians who were not doing those things and became riotous in their rejection. Derek Thomas says Luke provides a fascinating comment on the character of the Jewish population in Berea in contrast to those who have just encountered in Thessalonica, describing them as being more noble. It's an interesting word there, eugenis. It means to be generous towards. It has to do with an inclination and openness. So their hearts were more generous toward the gospel that was being preached to them. There was, a, there was an openness to receive. There was an anticipation that they had opened the doors of their heart to what they were listening to. Whereas in Thessalonica, that was, that was not the condition of the hearts of those who listened in Thessalonica. And so... Interesting phrase here. When the folks in Thessalonica rejected these men, these men who, quote, had turned the world upside down, which really was happening. That's what the gospel, that's what gospel preaching was doing. Because that's what they were doing, going from town to town, preaching the gospel. It was turning the world upside down. So here's my proposition to us. How to have your world 
turned upside down by the preaching of God's word. It's true for them. It's true for us. It's true for us in this room right now, this morning, how to have my world, whatever it is that makes up your world, whatever's not going in a way that, you know, would bring glory to God, how to have your world turned upside down by the preaching of God's word. One, receive it with eagerness, the way in which they did that word. Eagerness means the inclination or readiness of mind. Receive it with a readied heart, with a prepared, open, needful, desiring, looking to mindset. Come to this meeting with that being the condition of my mind. They received the word with eagerness. When they came to sit before the apostle Paul preaching the gospel, the same guy who did it back in Thessalonica, their heart was posh. It was inclined. They were leaning in. Second, examine the scriptures daily. Now, I I think that definitely means for the Bereans that they were hearing some things preached. And then they were looking into the scriptures to to see what they were hearing. And they were hearing some things preached and they were going to the scriptures. But I got to believe this, that before Paul or even arrived, these guys knew their way around the scriptures a little bit. Otherwise, when he shows up and begins to preach, they don't have a clue. So, hey, where, I don't even know where, where the heck do we find anything that he's talking about. These, these guys were people of the scriptures. The scriptures were involved in their lives and they were involved in the scriptures. So that when God was speaking through a person preaching, the scriptures could bear witness to that and extend its impact into their hearts. That was, that's what's happening in Berea. Derek Thomas says there was a sense of expectancy about their listening. They were sincere and genuine in their anticipation of what they were about to hear. They viewed it as both important and needful, right? Those are two good words. Can we just post those over the door as we walk in to hear the word of God preached? You are about to encounter something that is important and needful in your life. Come listen. Like what you're hearing is important and needful. To listen with eagerness to a sermon is not something that comes naturally. It is something that needs careful cultivation. It would be an interesting exercise to ask ourselves just before the sermon begins. What exactly do you expect to occur during the next 20, 30, or 40 Minutes. What are you eagerly anticipating? This is what the difference was that gets highlighted for us in this passage. In this passage, the difference between Thessalonica and Berea was that these were more generously inclined to the word. That's what the word of God says right here. It, it puts the emphasis on the receptive heart that was listening to the gospel. You know what doesn't happen here? I know we're tempted to do this because sometimes you think, man, right? And you know, I have this happen. I have these responses. I guess you preach for 20 years. You probably heard most responses you're going to get. So you get some folks who come up after a message, just feeling like, where's the water? I'm ready to walk on it. Oh, I'm so, I, I am so affected. I will never be the same. 
Just full of faith. Just where the dead people, I'll raise them right now. And just uh, that word, oh. And then you got some folks who, ah, uh, Keith wasn't your best. But uh, hey, just glad I was here. Glad I was here, buddy. Praying for you. <laughs> All right. When we come to here, it's not as though you got Paul and Silas, they're preaching, they're bringing what they think is their A game in Thessalonica. But, you know, a riot breaks out. I mean, the resistance is profound. They, they, they got bums off the street to cooperate with opposing Paul. That's what happened in Thessalonica. And now they're on their way to Berea. I don't know. You know, I don't know who's managing this enterprise, but they're on their way. And I don't know, probably the manager is thinking, uh, listen, guys, when we get to Berea, I, th- I think we're going to go with the left-hander. Um, they, were, they were yanking Paul out of the park back in Thessalonica. So Silas, you just be ready to preach when we get to Berea because, you know, Paul just, he just doesn't have his A game. Is that what happened? Or, or Paul, you know, I don't know what you were preaching, bro, but it just wasn't the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, dude. And, and those guys, they were powerfully opposing you, man. I mean, they were, they were getting strangers to be on their side and oppose you. So I think when we get to Berea, we're going we're to need to change some things up because, see, we want to see effective ministry take place, Paul. Is that what made effective ministry take place in Berea? What made effective ministry take place in Berea was the hearts of those who listened. It was the same gospel. It was the same Paul. It was probably similar messages. But it produced a world of different response. Over the Thanksgiving holidays, we had the, the blessing of getting together with Gina's family. And uh, it's always a, a treat. There's a couple of, of her relatives who are pastors. Um, they've been, been a blessing to us and, and in so many ways. One's in North Carolina, one's in, in Florida. Uh, and strangely enough, those were the guys God used to introduce us to PDI, even though they, they wouldn't have been sovereign grace oriented in terms of some of their theology. But just, you know, great churches, God's using them amazingly. And I was talking to one of them, and, and he had just got back from a trip to China. And, and this conversation happened on the back end of another conversation. They were talking about a conversation they had had with another pastor who was saying how he just had to chastise his church because the church just has this hard time sitting still for a 30, 40 minute message. And during the message, people are pulling out their iPads, you know, and their, their devices and they're checking their Twitter updates and their news feeds and whatever it is that they're looking at during that. He had to, he had to chastise the church kind of saying, can, can you not listen for 40 minutes out of the week? Can you not pay attention to the word of God for 40 minutes out of the week? You've got to get on your device during the service for real. And this, this, is, this is not a pastor who likes to get underneath his people's skin. I know who he is. And so Gina's uncle told me he just returned from a trip to, to China. And he said, what a difference it is to preach to people in China than it is to preach to Americans. He said, the meetings go on for like six hours. Now, he's an American preacher, so he's not used to preaching for six hours. So he said, you know, I got to a point in the meeting, I had to just tell the translator, can we take a break? <laughs> 
Can, can we just take a break and then I can just go maybe lay down for a few minutes and come back? So that when the translator translates that into the people, he said, a groan went out across the room. <laughs> and these are not comfortable settings. These are, these are house churches where there's 120 people packed into something that looks like your bedroom or your den. He says, you, you preach to them. He says, you preach to the top of their heads. He says, they don't look up. They spend the entire time feverishly writing down everything you are saying. Now, if you guys want to locate the epicenter of what God is doing on planet Earth right now, you're going to find it in places like China, Africa, places where the word of God is received very different than sluggish, overfed Americans. This is, this is insightful, right? When we get into this passage here, the issue for listening has to do with the condition of our hearts toward the word of God, right? Can you turn back with me just for a moment to Matthew 13? Remember Jesus giving commentary on this? He, he gives commentary on what's happening here in Berea in Matthew chapter 13. Now remember the context here. This is a parable of the sower, can you remember with me, if you, you don't remember the context here, in, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has, has corrected, has pronounced woes on cities like Chorazin and, and Bethsaida and Capernaum because they would not receive from God. He pronounced woes upon them. Then you read chapter 12, there's like four different indictments where Jesus responds to the Pharisees and the scribes for, for not being receptive for not receiving the work that God was doing, for associating the power of God with, with the devil in order to deliver folks and demanding for particular signs rather than opening your eyes and seeing all the signs that are going off all around you. So there was a rejection of what God was doing in their lives. This is what generates the context for the parable of the sower. Verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house And sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Right? Four Soil conditions, but don't, don't make this a gardening exercise. Four heart conditions are on display in this passage. Jesus is commenting about how the word of God will be encountered by four different types of hearts. And so Berea gives away a contrast of those who received versus those who were hostile to the word. The parable of the sower is set in the midst of people whose hearts were hostile to God's word. 
So it must be kind of important for listeners to pay attention to the condition of our hearts in order to receive the word that God is speaking to us, even this morning, to be able to receive what God is saying in this service, more so than whether I'm clever or whether I'm got a cool illustration that you can't ever forget, or whether or not I've amazingly connected this verse with that verse and this concept in scripture with that timing of God. And and you scratch your head and go, wow, more important than that is the condition of the hearts of those who listen to the word. Right? So question for us, question for us to wrestle with from now until the end of the service and then to respond to what's the condition the soil of our hearts. And and we are Americans, so I kind of ask that question to the American church. What kind of condition do we have? Are we here today pursuing God's word with eager anticipation? Right? I'm I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm in here. I, I brought a Bible with me. I brought something to write with me because I knew, I knew this was a, this was a time for God to meet with me. Listen, I know that this is kind of upside down, and I don't, I don't say this with any form of apology. But, but sometimes, you know, we, we, we might get the impression that we write things down because the guy saying stuff is saying such profound things. That's why we write them down. And the reason why we don't write them down is because, dude, you just don't have that much interesting to say. But according to this passage, we write things down because our hearts are eager and leaning in and anticipating God is about to say something to me that he wants to use in my life. As a matter of fact, this becomes a homework assignment. And I'm going to, like the Bereans, go home and look in the scriptures to see how these things are true. And it could revolutionize my world. And that's the eagerness that's here. Have you been daily examining the scriptures? Did you live life this week in such a way that when the word of God comes to you and presents itself to you, you are inclined. You are more noble than those in America whose soil condition is unprepared, overgrown, and lives next door to the devil. That's the condition of the American heart. It's overgrown, overbusied entrenched in things it doesn't need to be involved with, living next to compromising, challenging settings. And then we come in here with that kind of a heart to try and receive the word of God. Listen, this, this preaching is a holy moment. Not because it features some human being standing up and speaking words to us. That ain't nothing too holy about that. It's holy because the spirit of God takes the words that are being spoken in preaching and affects our hearts. So if that's the case, and if that's the case that those who live in America just absorb so much luggage along the way in life, how, how badly do we need to hear the word of God preached in our lives? How desperate are we to hear God's word? Right now, just deal with reality here. There's another conversation I had with one of Gina's uncles. And again, these, these, are, these are churches that are doing well, that have, that have extended the kingdom of God effectively in their cities. And we were talking about some of these issues that we see in the church world today. And I mentioned to one of them, I said, I said, man, you remember the day 
when you'd gather the church together. It was a Sunday morning, whatever kind of gathering. And, you know, you could, you could be certain that about 30% of your people weren't going to be there. Traveling, sickness, something came up unusual. I didn't even get to finish the, the conversation. I didn't get to finish that sentence before he said, oh, now it's more like 50%. He said, I'd say 50% of my people are not there and he's on any given Sunday. And then the other pastor chimed in and talked about these swings of attendance that he sees in his church. If preaching the word of God is this important, is there anything else happening on Sunday morning that's this important? I know there's other stuff happening on Sunday mornings. Don't get me wrong. I know that. It used to be that there were blue laws and there was this influence of Christianity in this country that made that hour sacred. Nobody did stuff. Stores weren't even open. Y'all remember that? That's not the way it is anymore, is it? We don't live in that world anymore. Listen, where are you on Sunday morning? Where are you? You you want to be sobered by this parable Jesus spoke about? Four types of soil. Three out of the four reject the seed. Does that disturb you a little bit? Because I think we kind of feel like we're somehow exempt from any of this stuff. Like we can, we can detach our hearts, unprepare our hearts. Our hearts can look just like all these soil conditions. We could be three for three in the bad category, but we'll just show up for church and somehow all that will just get overridden. Really? I mean, I know this, this parable is not given to give us a 75% number. It's not, that's not, I don't think that's why it's there. But what if, the, what if the thought is 75% of people are going to reject the seed of the word of God sown in their lives? What if that's going to be the outcome? Are, are you concerned about anything getting planted in your own heart? Right? Might that change the way I show up for this meeting? Because I, I, I got like a 75% chance that I'm going to walk in this room and walk out and nothing's going to change in my life. I'm going to be unaffected. I got a 75% chance. Now, I'm not saying that's what this passage teaches. But I think somehow we, we better wake up to something that's in this passage. That I just can't casually walk in to the preaching of God's word and think my world's going to get turned upside down. I, I, I casually walk in like the Thessalonians did. I'm going to form a mob on the way out of here is what I'm going to do. I cultivatingly, eagerly, heart-leaning in, Berean style, walk into being affected by the preaching of God's word. Now, let's, let's take responsibility for these soil conditions in our hearts. Just walk through these real quick. Number one, the common path, heart, right? Look at the commentary. Jesus explains the parable in verse 19. Matthew 13, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. I mean, you just get the simplicity of this. Preaching has happened. It went right over my head. 
There was no sense of understanding occurring. There was no sense of connection to that word. There was no sense of that makes sense. That's how the word connects. That's what my soul needed to hear. There was no sense of that going on. And then the devil just casually walked by and picked it up. And it was gone. From our hearts. These well-worn paths. And this is a pathway. It's a picture of a pathway. What What does it represent? What's what everyone else in your culture is doing? This is a Christian who travels through life on the same pathways as an unbeliever. The person who has no, quote, depth of understanding into which God's word can be set because he doesn't travel off the beaten paths of this world to encounter God. That's what, that's what a pathway is, right? You walk into a field. You guys have this. If you have children and you have a yard, you have this. Right, I've got grass and I've got trails. You guys got that in your house? If not, I can bring my kids over and we can arrange for that. There are certain, there are certain highways in my backyard that lead from one part of the backyard to the other. I don't know why they just can't walk in a variety of places. But there's a trail there. Why is there a trail? Because it's a common pathway. Stick to the pathway. Well, you, you and I live in a fallen world. We live in an American fallen world. Guess what? Guess where you are if you look down and your feet are on the pathway? You are walking hand in hand with everybody else in this world who doesn't need God, doesn't want God, doesn't pursue God, has some short version of God, has some small idea about what it means to know God. You're you're on that path. So when seed falls in that setting, this is the setting. And too much of Christianity comes into this meeting and we've been walking on that path and, 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 and this, some of what gets preached sounds like a foreign language to us. It's like we've been hanging around the thoughts and ideas. It sounds like dog whistles. You know, we just, just didn't get that. That went right over my head. I didn't understand. You know, I don't know. I don't, Keith, I don't get it when you go, uh, really? Well, might it be not because we didn't make it simple enough Might it be because I spent all week long never in the scriptures. These things sound foreign to me. They sound like dog whistles. I turn my head when you say stuff because I don't get it. Were you in the word this week? The Bereans lived in the word daily. Did you get familiar with what God sounds like on a daily basis so that when you heard the word preached, you'd go, yes, I get that. That makes sense to me. Yes, that helps me. Oh, that awakens faith in my soul. Or do I sit in meetings like this? And I, dog whistles. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. I mean, I didn't get much out of. So the Bereans got something because their hearts were inclined and listening. They didn't, they didn't live on the pathways of this world. Warning. You can't live next door to the devil. And think that he won't steal from you. Don't, don't be a fool. You, you can't live a party lifestyle and think the seed of God's word on the kingdom of heaven will be found flourishing in your life. You live for right here, right now, whatever you can get, whatever style of entertainment, whatever you can get for you. You live that and you walk in this setting and you hear the preaching on the kingdom of God that lasts forever. A heavenly kingdom. A citizenship that's not of this world. 
You won't get past that back door before the devil would have picked that seat up and put it in his pocket and walked off. Because you live on a pathway of worldliness. You can't hear that. You got no place for it to be put in your life. You, you, you cannot invite pornography to be your roommate and think the devil won't steal from you your purity in this life. You kidding me? You hear a word about holiness and devotion and purity to God and putting no unclean thing before your eyes. You won't get past the back door before that word is gone because you got a thief for a roommate. God's got these wonderful things to say about husbands and wives and not despising the marriage bed and the uniqueness of a covenant experience between two people for life. And God plants that seed and throws it out into our hearts. And if you live on the pathways of pornography, it'll be gone right after the second bounce. You'll open a door. You'll open a door to addictive elements in your life like you can't imagine. And, and, and the seed of God's word about self-control, the fruit of the spirit is self-control, boom, gone as soon as you heard that. Because you live on a pathway where the devil steals whatever's being sown into your life. You cannot daily park your car at the mall of materialism and think the, the word of God on, on tithing and offerings and giving to others and the globalization of the gospel is going to find a place to grow. When what I set before me on the pathway of this world is more, more, newer, gadgets, fun, entertainment, go, do, just stuff, just like with the world here. That's the pathway of this world. The pathway of this world is trying to figure out how to have something else besides what it has. How to have more. How to find happiness by having this and doing that and living that lifestyle and getting that amount of money. If I park my car right next to that and then I sit through a service where the value of tithing is presented to me. You kidding me? I don't have room to tithe. I'm on the well-worn paths of the world. That seed falls on the ground. Offerings, globalization of the gospel. What what are you even... Like dog whistles. What is that? I've been a Christian for 15 years. I've never, ever tithed. Really? Is that, is that because, and I hear, you know, guys do, and well-intended guys do this. Well, Keith, man, if that's what's going on in the church, maybe, maybe you just need to preach a few messages on tithing. Hey, I'm good with that. It's in the word, right? And if you've been in the church for a while, you know we do that. You know, we'll go into the word and we'll learn about giving. All right, when you read these passages, do you realize it's not just a matter of what gets preached from the pulpit? Paul preached to Thessalonica. This is important. Because God intends to turn the world upside down by preaching the gospel. He intends to revolutionize our lives, but the, clearly the word says these were more noble than those because there's something in their hearts to receive what God was doing and saying to them. Number two, the shallow, convenient heart Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word 
and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. No, there, this, is, this is rocky soil. This is, this is hard. This is uncultivated heart condition. This is, this is what happens when we just leave our hearts alone and just think showing up for church is sufficient. It is, it is a hardened area with a little bit of dirt on the top of it where the seed falls in. And, and when we're in the room here, kind of, I, I can receive that. that. That sounds right. Yes. But it won't take us long before we'll forget that we even encountered that. I mean, let's, let's keep it real. Two weeks ago, Aaron Osborne was here. Preached a word to us. Very much believe it was, it was a word for us to hear from God. It was God it was preaching that was intended to bear fruit in our lives. We concluded that service. He gave an illustration about a campfire where there were remnants of the work of God in these embers, but they just need, they need to be pulled together and the fresh wind blown upon them so that those fires could begin to take off again in our lives. I think we, I think we connected with that. I think many of us recognize that there have been embers in the past in my life. There have been embers where I was reading God's word, just uh, just voracious appetite for the word of God, but yet you know, I'm not there now. I still would want that. It's a little bit of an ember, but there's no flame. My prayer life, same thing. My giving, same thing. Right, so we have a time where fill up the altar time here and fill up the aisles and, and we're together and we're asking for God to come do and awaken this in our souls. Right, nobody, nobody raise a hand, please. How many of us went home and opened the Bible up to Revelation chapter 3 and read anything further about the church in Sardis? I mean, if we went home and reviewed a note that we took in that meeting, the Bereans eagerly leaned forward and they searched the scriptures daily. How many of us have seen a difference in our lives, in our prayer lives, since we came forward? How many of us have seen a difference in our Bible reading since we came forward? How many of us have seen a passion to lighten the load of the junk that's in our life and to pursue more of an affectionate connection with God? How many of us have seen that? See, we were all eager to receive that word. Right? But it could be that we're not paying attention to what the Bible says here and we attend church with rocky soil in our hearts. So we can receive something quickly. It can make sense to us. The preaching made sense. Yes, oh, I was convicted, but it's lost by Monday. It's lost by Tuesday. And I know this is a conviction or this is the experience of many, many, many of us. This is the commentary on why that happens. The folks in Berea experienced something different than that. And Jesus spoke about experiencing that too. Last, last thing, Matthew 13, verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 
Right? This, one, this one, I think this one was written prophetically for the American lifestyle. I think I wrote this in your notes. Again, I wrote this stuff, and we give notes so that you can search the scriptures. Right? I need notes to preach from. I don't need you to have notes. I make notes so that this message preaches after Sunday morning. I make notes so that you can be a Berean and you can search the scriptures and we provide the scriptures to you. We provide these quotes to you. We provide the frame of thinking that the pastor had so that you can sit down on Tuesday morning with a cup of coffee or Thursday night in your devotion time and you can search the scriptures and what God did supernaturally in preaching can get furthered by your searching of the scriptures. But this is a challenge for us. Right in your notes there, let's face it. There's just too much going on in our lives, our minds, our pursuits, our goals, our lists of likes, our categories of interest, the catalogs that come in the mail, our number of friends, our Facebook updates, our news and sports feeds, our must-see TV, etc., etc., etc. We chronically live in this soil condition while waiting for things to change. They will change when the soil changes. These were not like those. These were more generously inclined in their heart toward the things of God. That's what made a difference. Sometimes we read the Bible too fast. Matthew 13 is a disturbing passage. It's a disturbing passage. Three out of four are soils where there's not going to be any fruit. Jesus said in the midst of explaining this parable, in verse 12, he said, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. All right, let me just show you the sobering reality of that verse. Some came here today like Bereans. You, you have been daily in the word. You have had ears tuned to God. You've been enjoying God's communication and presence. Conviction by the spirit. Encouragement in the word is not a foreign thing to you. And you... And you come in here with something. Do you get that? You had something when you came in here today. And to him who had, even more is given. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And this is, this is Jesus explaining the parable of the, of the soils. He's explaining why he spoke in parables and explaining a concept here. So to the person who doesn't have, to the person who has no soil prep going on in their life, I got no ear for God, I got no time with God, I got no word of God happening in my life, and I show up in here, even what you have may be taken from you. You want to find out if that's true? Don't raise your hand. How many of you used to have a better prayer life? How many of you used to Study God's word. How many of you used to have a pattern of witnessing and telling others about Christ? How many of you used to tithe? 
That's disturbing, isn't it? Well, I'm, I know I'm messing with your world. I hope you men are getting prepared for the men's retreat. Listen, guys, we, we, we can't be a church with that kind of soil condition coming in here to receive from God. We can't be that. And if you just went down a checklist with me and you said, yeah, I used to be, I'm here now. I used to be, I'm, I'm here now. I'm, I'm downgraded in all kinds of categories. Even what you have is being taken from you. And it's not because you need a better message preached. It's because the soil in my heart is in the 75% category that doesn't receive and doesn't produce fruit. The Bereans, they had their world turned upside down because their hearts were generously inclined toward God. That's what this word says. So this morning, here's what I want to pray for us to do. I I want you to find your soil. Can you find your soil? Went through three of them. You find your soil. That, That soil, whatever condition you're in, that soil, the way it is right now, will never receive seed and will never produce fruit. Leave it like it is. It'll keep telling that same story for the rest of eternity. The only way that seed is going to change in its outcome is for the soil to change. The seed was fine. The preaching was fine. It was the soil that was a problem. Let's, let's stand up together. Lord, being aware, being aware as a pastor, being aware as a listener today, that there are soil conditions that can turn this meeting into an hour-long break from life. That doesn't mean a whole lot in the long run. Lord, that's, that is sad. It's disturbing to think that's what we could have just done. Lord, you have given us revelation in your word. You have given us the Bereans. Given us an example of those who lived their lives in the scriptures and whose hearts were inclined to you so that when preaching of the word occurred, their lives were overwhelmed and fruitful. Just the way Jesus described the parable of the sower who goes out to sow the seed of the word of God in the world. Lord, if we're going to be the people you have purpose for us to be, well, then these soil conditions must change in our hearts. They must change. Well, right now, would you, would you access our hearts? Would you be merciful to us? Lord, we, we don't just grab this where we remember that grace is running in the background right now. Grace is running in the background. The grace and mercy of God toward Those gardeners in our midst, Lord, those of us who have neglected, traveled on the wrong pathways, live 
have the wrong roommates in our lives. Grace is running in the background for us. So this morning, Lord, would you, would you do what needs to be done in our hearts? Lord, we, we want to tell the story of Berea. We don't want to be riotous responders to you. We want to respond the way the Bereans did. We have hearts full of faith. We want to have soil that receives your word. We want to have fruit in days ahead. Lord, we want this word to fall on fertile ground. Lord, we want you to stir up the word that you gave to Aaron that he spoke here again. Lord, that, that we, we let it be stolen. Lord, we, we, we let it be stolen. Lord, would you graciously this morning rescue us? Would you graciously this morning, Lord, take the, the hard, rocky places and convenient way that we approach you? And Lord, would you crush that hard ground this morning? Lord, right now, would you begin to break the hardness of our hearts? God, would you begin to stir and disturb the soil of our lives? Lord, would we just find ourselves right now before you with one big word in our mouth just saying yes to you, Lord? Yes. God, my word to you is yes, Lord. Yes to what you have. Yes to what you want in my life. Yes to steps of faith. Yes to changing the way I live. Yes to you, Lord. Would you just soften us, Lord? Would you create in us a, a world that's, that's broken up and ready to receive? God, would you make us to realize we needed this important word today? Lord, we needed it. We need our worlds turned upside down, Lord. We need the world to look and see those people's lives are turned upside down. We're going to need some courage this week. We need some reminders this week. For we step from this room into a setting that is overgrown, thorns, vines growing, pressing, urgent needs everywhere, schedule that's already full. God, our schedule's already full this week. Where are we going to fit this in? Lord, right now, would you be with us in such a way that there's... There's fresh desire in our hearts to do exactly that, to fit this in. To cut some vines. Take the rake out and remove the things that have crawled into the growing spaces of our hearts. To simplify space for us. Lord, we just might do two things. We might be in your scriptures daily. And we might incline our hearts to you. Lord, just, just make room in our lives for that. What amazement that would produce as we see fruit, as we see blooms, flowers and fruit growing in the fields of our hearts. That's what we're asking for. We're not asking for a moment this morning, God. Not asking for something just to happen in this moment. God, we've done moments before. I don't want a moment, Lord. I want a way of life. I want a field, Lord. I don't want an idea. And I believe there are many here this morning who want that. Lord, plow the fields, plow the fields of our hearts.